1: Now, in today's episode, we are going to shake your concept of reality. We have on the show Aaron Abke, and he is an expert in the law of one. For thousands of years, these teachings are for those who seek the truth and who wish to learn about the unity and oneness of all things. This is a profound conversation so get ready to have your minds blown. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Aaron Apke. How you doing, Aaron?
0: I'm doing well, brother. Thanks for having me today.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show, brother. I really appreciate it. I'm fascinated with your story and and the work that you've been doing. Uh, it's spreading really good information, really good you know uh, knowledge to help help the people awaken <laughs> around the world. And uh, I think we found each other. By similar energies, because that's similar what I'm trying to do is here as well. So, uh, my first journey is uh, can you take us back to when your spiritual journey began uh, and and what happened?
0: Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I can't because I was born and raised as an evangelical pastor's kid. So you know, we we call it religion back then, but you know, spirituality has kind of always been a part of my life. but but there was a transition period out of religion into, more of the expanded consciousness kind of brand of spirituality. And that came in um, 2016, I want to say. Yeah, I had uh, followed in my dad's footsteps up till 23 years old to be a pastor, work in church ministry and all that. But I, I began to have an awakening out of religion, out of the dogmatic fundamentalist belief systems of my religion. And uh, that was a hard transition because every single friend I had, all my family, every school I'd ever been to, everything in my life was Christian. So I was like, I don't even know anybody who doesn't believe this stuff, (laughs) but I don't. And that's a problem for me. So long story short, I had to, I quit my church job as a worship pastor at the time at 23 and just said, look, I got to be true to myself. I don't believe this stuff. I don't believe in this version of God that you're selling. So I got to go find my truth. So moved back to Oklahoma and then spent Four years or so, really heavily studying Eastern philosophies, most especially Hinduism and Buddhism and understanding, you know, God from a non-duality perspective and an Eastern perspective, which really helped me. But it was at 27 years old, I had a kind of dramatic spiritual awakening experience um, where I was, I was really going through some severe depression at that time in my life. So I had, you know, uh, divorced from my religion my lifelong religion, which some of you listening know is like a complete inversion of your reality when that happens. So that can cause a lot of stuff to come up. And I also gotten divorced from my wife, who I had married as a young Christian kid, because our paths kind of went like this, you know. So that was really painful. And then I was just alone in the Bay Area working at Google as a personal trainer. Didn't, you know, there's no time to make friends in the Bay Area because everyone's rushing 100 miles an hour through their life. So I'm like alone, everyone in my Christian background thinks I'm a heretic now, nobody wants to be my friend. And I was just kind of in this depression. So I was really like seeking spiritually at that time of how do I get free from this suffering and find peace? So I was listening to Eckhart Tole at that time. Uh, every day on my lunch break, I would go up to this balcony above my gym and just kind of kick back and relax and listen to Eckhart. And it was the one sort of period of my day where I would have true peace of mind just listening to Eckhart and watching the clouds pass and eat my lunch. And so it was probably like three months or so of doing this on my lunch break. And one particular day it just must've been the planets aligned or whatever. But I was listening to Eckhart talk about things that our ego says to us in our head. And he was sort of say a comment that the ego says to us and then laugh and chuckle at it. And the audience would laugh. And I started laughing. And he did that like four or five times. And each time he did it, I laughed harder because I was like, yeah, man, you're nailing it. That's exactly what my ego says to me every day. Things like, if only people would recognize how special I am, then I would truly be happy. <laughs> I was like, oh, dude, he's nailing it. That's exactly what my mind says to me. And I, as I was laughing, I kind of laughed myself into a deep realization of truth because You know, laughter, comedy can be a very potent way to realize something, right? So the universe kind of snuck in non-duality through comedy, in a sense. And I just had this tangible experience of oneness. And I could spend all day trying to describe what that state was like. But to summarize it, it was just evidently clear that everything in the universe is one great energy, one great consciousness, just knowing itself, just expressing itself. And it's infinite. So it does that in an infinite variety of ways, but it's still just one essence. And I am a part of that. And that essence is eternal. It's made of pure love. Just all these realizations were childlike in their simplicity. It was like I almost felt embarrassed that I lived my whole life believing I was separate and that love was something external to me. Other people were separate from me. It's like, God, what a delusion I was living in. So I spent two weeks in this like blissed out state of absolute inner peace. And, uh, at, at the two week mark to the day, I always tell this story, the way that I sort of began to slip out of that state was because I woke up two weeks to the day, check my phone and realized, wow, it's been two weeks. And I've been in this total bliss for two full weeks. And the first ego thought came back online in that moment. And it said, wow, I wonder if I'm enlightened. And I didn't catch it. Right. I just thought, oh, maybe this is enlightenment. I went through my day and then slowly the suffering thoughts came back in and the the belief that I was a separate entity came back in and I felt separate from people again and the love started to diminish and all of that. And then my depression eventually came back full swing, even worse than it was before because it was like I sort of felt like I had been given this free sample of enlightenment and I had, I had messed it up somehow and I'd been kicked out of heaven or something and now it was even worse to suffer from that because now I had proof right, that an alternative exists. You can be happy, you can be free, but I lost it and now I'm suffering again. So it was a, a blessing in disguise because what it did for me was that it gave me proof, number one, that freedom's available. And number two, it gave me this burning motivation, this burning passion to abandon everything else in my life other than this one pursuit to figure out how to get back to that state of consciousness again. And that was my life from that point. And that sort of just slowly evolved into everything I teach about today.
1: And that, I mean, I think it was all part of the plan to give you that taste, because without that taste, you wouldn't have the unwavering need to get back
0: there. You got it.
1: Without without question. Now, it, uh, you, in 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 your bio i heard you say you had a kundalini awakening now i've heard of that term before and i've heard about kundalini energy and i've as you can see by the artifacts and things around me i've also studied eastern uh eastern philosophies as well and yogic philosophy so i've heard mixed things about kundalini meaning that it is extremely it can be extremely dangerous if not dealt with properly Mm. and but i've heard it it is also a gateway or a way to find enlightenment as well, but it is something not to be played with, uh, you know, Certainly. lightheartedly. So, can you explain what, first of all, what kundalini energy is, and then explain your kundalini awakening?
0: Sure. Yeah, I'll try to make this as simplistic as I can because we can we can get way deep into the weeds <laughs> if we want. So, a kundalini awakening is an experience that has happened in. Humans for thousands of years that we know, there are um, there are wall paintings of Shiva, for example, in the Indus Valley that have been found that date back uh, five thousand years ago of Shiva in a meditation posture with serpents rising up all around him, kind of in an ecstatic state. And uh, we know that the Yoga Sutras from Patanjali, for example, date back to you know three thousand years ago or something like that.
1: We'll be right back
0: after a word from our sponsor. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Daris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Go to your happy place For a happy price Go to your happy price price Priceline
1: Every day, we rise Challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in At U.S. Border Patrol
0: Protecting our borders is more than a job It's a calling Agents answer the call Working together to keep our country and community safe If you're ready for a new mission Join US border patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
1: And now back to
0: the show. So this has been in literature for a long time, but it was always considered to be a very rare thing. Um, and potentially it was, but also potentially there wasn't the internet back then, right, where we could all be connected and realize, actually this phenomenon is happening more than we realized around the planet. <laughs> And so what it essentially is, if I had to dumb it down, is that it is sort of a neurobiological process that happens within our nervous system after a certain level of spiritual effort has been given. When, when we start to raise our consciousness to a certain point where we're, for example, becoming aware of oneness, we're living from a place of love and uh, unity towards, towards everything, it sort of puts a demand on our nervous system to upgrade itself because our current nervous system, first of all, the nervous system is like the interface between consciousness and the body. It's like the mirror that consciousness shines itself into and then the reflection is this human being experience I'm having, right? Mm -hmm. So when when we're living selfishly and greedy from those lower three chakras, then we don't need to expand our nervous system because that's what it's built to do very well, right? But when a new and rare state of consciousness starts to happen in us, such as love and and unity, it requires a higher frequency, we might say, for the nervous system to be able to handle, because love is a very high frequency. That's why it feels so good. And why, um, for example, blissful experiences are very, very fleeting for the most part. Uh, most of your listeners have probably had little glimpses of oneness or bliss right where they feel unified with the creator with creation but classically it kind of goes away as fast as it comes and then you're kind of dropped back into this dense separation consciousness right well that's because bliss and love and unity is a higher vibration so it's as if you know we're kind of maxing out the rpms on our engine and it kind of burns out it has to go back so how do we sustain oneness and and bliss and love We got to increase our nervous system's capacity to handle that kind of frequency. And so that's what a kundalini awakening really is. It's that there is a dormant energy at the base of the spine that kind of is lying in wait in potential for this level of frequency to be activated in us. And when it is, this energy responds to it and begins moving up the spine, up towards the brain, and then eventually down into the gut. And it's it's this total transformation of our neurobiology to a higher frequency level. And so you have all these classic symptoms that people have written about for thousands of years after a kundalini awakening, where firstly, we go through, a usually we go through a dark night of the soul, where all of our traumas, our negative core beliefs, and all this stuff has to come up and be surfaced and be dealt with, because it's kind of in the way of that frequency of love, right? So we people sometimes go through a psychotic meltdown after a kundalini awakening. If they particularly have a lot of traumas, they haven't healed yet. But after that period is over, we uh, classically will start to experience this incredible open heartedness where we just feel so loving. Everything seems to sparkle. You know, these are classic kundalini awakening symptoms. And that's because your your frequency has picked up now and this new energy is, is flowing through your nervous system so i could go on a lot farther but i'll just sort of stop there and and let you comment on that aspect of it if you want
1: so uh, from what i'm hearing is uh, because it sounds like a, a lot of these yogis and uh masters who essentially became ascended masters after they left this earth uh meditation was such a big part of that and the constant meditation is what is kind of Preparing, it kind of starts building the tolerance for for that because just from my own experience of meditating now for about six years or so at a at an hour to three hour a day clip, um, the blissful states which I've talked to Tibetan monks who've who've gone through this as well, they stay with me longer they're not as fleeting mm-hmm. uh and if i stay in the meditative state uh if i and i can't hit it all the time but i i, I i'm hitting it lo- more often and longer than i used to where that it's almost a 15 minute wind down kind of like you were saying you're dropping back down into rhea it's kind of like that yeah. i go up and then it, and then I I lose it. But people around me, my kids or my my wife or or friends, would be like, "Dude, did you just meditate?" Because they can sense mm-hmm. they can sense right. my energy. They can sense I don't say anything. It's just the way the energy around me is. So I can imagine someone eventually getting to that place where they can uh, to handle it. And also, channelers talk about this as well. Where um, I was talking to a, a channeler the other day that they. First, the first person or first entity that channeled them, they said, "We are preparing you for a master," and they were kind of like ramping up the yeah. engine, preparing because if a, the master's energy came in, she, they couldn't handle the vibration of it. It's it just would blow too, the circuits. It blow the circuits up, so it was kind of like prepping the machine to accept that. So they're both very similar in concept. Yeah. Am I wrong?
0: You're right on it. Yeah, this is why we need to. um, prepare the body, prepare the nervous system for this energy to be activated because it's at least five times more potent than our current, um, I call it third density energy, which we'll get into in a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, This is why people go through painful kundalini awakenings because this energy, if they're not prepared for it, will blow their circuits, right? Just like a circuit board, it could just blow it completely. And then, um, you know, they're, having multiple personalities come out as these old conditioning patterns and traumas are coming up all the time and they can't stop it. Then they think they're losing their mind. They go to a doctor and the doctor says, well, you've got schizophrenia or something. And they put them on a bunch of you know um, psychotic drugs and then they're in a, a psych ward before they know it in a mental institution. Psych wards are full of people with awakened kundalinis who just didn't know what was happening to them. And of course, Western medicine doesn't know either. So for me, it became also pretty clear that Humanity needs more literature on this, needs more education on this, because it's happening more and more as our planet itself is evolving, more and more people's kundalinis are awakening in response to the planetary energy, and we need to know how to facilitate it when it happens, and the right way to manage your way through a kundalini awakening. very important.
1: Is that why you think now that even in... And how long have you been doing this work? Uh, I've been teaching on YouTube for about four years, a little over four years. So even in the four year period that you've been on, the amount of interest in the work that you're doing, in the work that I've only been doing this show for a year and a half, and I've mm. seen this massive yeah. growth in people searching for this information. It feels like a lot of people are awakening, awakening, not just here in the States, as, as, as many of us in the States think the entire world revolves around us, and it doesn't, <laughs> I see people from around the world, con- from people from all walks of life, from every country you can imagine, I see the comments, I see messages, and I'm like, they're all searching, all yeah. searching for this. Do you think that's one of the reasons why there's such a, more of a need and a want for this information, where before this information, 10, 20 years ago, was so much more taboo oh, yeah. taboo to even talk about?
0: Yeah well, we're, we're kind of going through this great awakening right on the planet right now. And in response to a lot of the global events that have been happening, there's a demand in human consciousness on this planet to find answers and how do we move forward? And I think that's a big part of why there's such a hunger for this kind of material. People are, are wanting and hoping now for something more because we're finally out of this um, sort of third turning into the fourth turning now where uh, things aren't so comfortable anymore. We don't have the luxury to just kick back, relax, ignore the corruption, ignore all the shadows on our planet. Cause yeah, it doesn't affect me. We're good. Well, now it does affect you. Right. And you have no choice but to take notice of the shadows on this planet and begin contributing to the healing. Right. And that need, that desire to contribute, I think, is what is causing this catalyst.
1: Now, in your work, you, you, uh, you talk a lot about the law of one can you explain to the audience what the law of one is uh, which is a deep deep dark not dark but deep rabbit hole you can go down into without question so just the basic concepts of what the law of one is, where it came from and maybe the seven densities would probably be yeah. a good starting point
0: yeah always a good starting point yeah <laughs> so the law of one is a channel text from the 1980s it was a group of UFO researchers who were trying to kind of figure out like, what's this UFO phenomenon? You know, there was so much UFO activity in the seventies and eighties. So this group of like 12 people were trying to figure out how to understand this phenomenon. And they actually came up with a really smart um, idea, which is if we want to understand who these beings are that keep appearing in our skies, you know, um, I just watched, one of the um, Pentagon press conferences where like our own government now is like, yeah, like, sorry, for the last like 50 years, we've been seeing UFOs and we just haven't told you till now. But yeah, it's an absolutely real. We'll be right back after a word
1: from our sponsor. What if you could have a career
0: where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission?
1: Phenomenon. Yeah, there's it's something like, there. We don't know what it is, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. thanks for finally acknowledging that <laughs> after gaslighting us all for 50 years.
1: I mean, all those episodes of the X-Files could have just not have happened if we had just right? told us earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so they they said,
0: if we want to understand who these beings are, we should probably be more interested in their philosophy and their spirituality than their technology. Because like, mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to figure out how they're doing this stuff. But so they started doing channeling sessions, trying to contact telepathically um, these beings. Right. And after so many years of attempting it, they started to have a contact with an entity named Ra or that identified itself as Ra. And they began this 106 session question and answer dialogue with this entity through channeling over a four year period where they basically, you know, Ra just says, uh, we're here to to teach and disseminate the law of one to your people. Ask us any questions you have about the universe, and if we believe it's not an infringement on your free will to tell you the answer, we'll tell you the answer. So there's, it's just this amazing dialogue about the nature of the universe, the nature of consciousness and evolution and reincarnation, and it really just gives these amazingly satisfying answers to these deep philosophical questions we have about why are we all here? What's this universe thing doing here? Is there a purpose to it? um why are we on this planet rather than another one and uh, is there life out there and why is there other life the law of one just gives these really succinct answers that you know the one feedback i always hear from people when they start reading it which was also my feedback is like damn it says it's like i'm remembering this information like part of me already knew that this was true but i hadn't been reminded of it yet and so i'll give your audience a glimpse of this by talking about the seven densities of consciousness <clears throat> now have you ever To whoever's listening to this have you ever looked at your dog or your cat and like wondered why your state of consciousness is so different like you share similarities in consciousness with your pet for sure but you're dealing with way more nuances than they are you're aware of way more variables than they are and it's very clear and you can't communicate with an animal like you can another human why is that what is that phenomenon The law of one says that consciousness itself evolves through a kind of progression or densities, as it refers to it. The best way to understand the densities is through the color wheel. So we have seven colors on the color wheel or uh, seven notes on the musical scale. This is an archetype in the universe of how progression works. Um, If you play the musical scale, you know, C through B, those seven notes, you, you hear a progression, right? The notes get higher and higher and higher. And then you get to that B note, it really, you want to hit that next C to finish the octave, right? That's a progression. And it's there's something that pulls you about it. Same with the color wheel. As you bleed through the colors, it eventually comes back around to red again, right? So consciousness apparently also works like this in that consciousness begins in the first density, they call it, which is the density of just sort of like Pure being or pure existence. And that's the density of the five elements earth, water, fire, air, and space. So, right after the Big Bang, right, the first existence in the universe was these five elements. And so, these five elements interact with each other all through the universe, through stars and planets. Eventually, you know, the gas solidifies, the rock solidifies, oceans form, and now we have a habitable planet. So planet Earth would be considered a first density life form. But now within that planet, there begins to evolve eventually microbial life, insects, fish, animals and plants. Right. So that that represents the second density of consciousness. The second density is is now consciousness has gained enough information from the first density to move into the second, which is growth and movement and awareness of your environment. So any creature that can interact with its environment and move around is would be considered a second density life form. That's what your pet is, for example. And then consciousness spends a few more billion years in that density, you know we know the dinosaurs and all of that history, a lot of time spent in second density before eventually consciousness evolves into the third density. And that's where consciousness does this amazing thing where it kind of flips in on itself and becomes an object to itself and that's what we call self awareness and that's the big difference between a human being and a dog or a cat is that a dog and a cat has awareness and a kind of type of self awareness but nothing like a human being which has a conceptual understanding of who it is and you know i can now think about my past and my future and i can have identities and and then all these different fears can arise from that so that's just one example of the first three densities, which we can all look around and see perfect evidence for, right? And the the reason that it's called a density is because it refers to the speed of vibration of the photon. So the law of one says that consciousness is expressed through light. And we know this through quantum mechanics, right? That everything is just light in these different entangled relationships. So Essentially, the faster the photon is vibrating, the denser it is, the more dense with light that it is. And so, the more light is available, the more information is available. The more information is available, the more ability that consciousness has to express itself. So, you can see the densities, the seven densities, as the seven degrees that consciousness can express itself in. So, your animal is second density. They have a certain limit to how much consciousness they can express. They can never open a bank account. You know, they can never worry about the stock market. They don't have the ability to express that consciousness, but you do being a third density being. And so then it continues from there, fourth through seventh as well.
1: Okay. So, which is, again, when you were saying all of this, and when I actually started doing research into, into the teachings of Ra and that channel text, I also felt that I was like, oh, this, this all just, it just i had that feeling like this kind of i kind of remember this i don't know why it just started to make sense to me it also aligns a lot with certain elements of the yogic and hindu and eastern philosophies as well big time It really aligns with all that so that's probably another reason why i was like this all sounds very interesting it sounds familiar to me so those first three densities are where we all kind of hang out uh for the most part and we are Currently, third going into fourth density, correct? But right. we still have the the machinery of third density,
0: the karma. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We still have that kind of machinery. So some of us are jumping to fourth density, fourth density mm-hmm. things like that, where there was, uh, you know, a Jesus, a Buddha, uh, a Yogananda, these right. kind of these kind of figures who did this way earlier than we did. Mm-hmm um by their own spiritual path that they took can you explain what the fourth fifth sixth and seventh densities are just kind of so we all can know where we're going hopefully (laughs)
0: yes yeah yeah this is the understanding that really helps us out to map our future of what is human existence going to look like going forward and you know we don't know what lies beyond where we're at it's kind of like we're walking through the darkness so it, it makes sense that we don't understand The nature of consciousness. But thankfully, the law of one gives us a, a fantastic map that really makes, in my opinion, a lot of sense and is very practical. And that is so, third density is the density of self awareness. We could also call it the density of separation, because the first sort of notion that the brain has when it starts to realize I am a separate being is that everything else is a potential threat, right? So, it's like survival consciousness really thrives in third density that's why we see all the war all the genocide all the horrible atrocities in third density because we're operating from this belief that we're separate but once our the photon literally the the light cells in our body start to pick up in their frequency a, a higher perspective of existence starts to dawn in our awareness and it happens something like this okay yeah it's sort of true that we're separate we're in different bodies maybe But the more we fight and resist each other and compete against each other, the worse things tend to get. So although we may be in separate bodies, what if we're all sort of one in a greater perspective? Maybe we, we come from
1: the same source. We have the same essence to what we are. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show and from that perspective
0: we start to naturally want to work together and be more unified and be friendly and loving towards each other and the second humans start to truly do that it proves to our mind how much more efficient and how much better that perspective is we could call it unity consciousness versus separation so now we're realizing hey we're all one you know we're all on this planet together floating through space whether we like it or not might as well work together and work for everyone's best interest rather than my own best interest. And so that's the beginning of fourth density. Fourth density is the density of love and unity and oneness, where finally consciousness comes together again, like a puzzle piece that had been separated and, and begins to work together. And from that point, the law of one says evolution happens very quickly. When, when you work together, things get done and figured out very fast. And so that's, uh, so if we're talking about the color wheel, right? First, we have red. That's first density. Orange is second density. Yellow is third density. Green is fourth density. So we, we move through that like a color spectrum in that every color bleeds into the next one. There's no like distinct point where one color stops and the next begins. You know, we're in the yellow density and we slowly start to bleed into some lime green. And you can start to tell there's a little green in the hue. And then the green gets a little bit darker and denser. And eventually we get to true color green, which also correlates to the fourth chakra, fourth density, uh, which is the heart chakra. So, fourth density is love. Fifth density correlates to the throat chakra and uh, the blue ray. And that is the density of wisdom and sort of non duality, where consciousness begins to actually understand the oneness of consciousness through the universe and uh, becomes more psychic, we might say. Psychic abilities apparently evolve uh, profoundly strong in fifth density. And then that leads eventually to the sixth density, which is, they call it the density of, of the law of one or, or unity. And that's where the, our soul must achieve a perfect balance between uh, love and wisdom or heart and mind. So our, our love must be imbued with an equal amount of wisdom because we know that if you just operate lovingly, you're going to do a lot of good, but you're also very vulnerable to being taken advantage of, right? You could be very gullible if you're just looking with love and no wisdom. So love has to be endowed with wisdom at a certain point. And that happens at a very high level in the sixth density. And then uh, the seventh density is they call it the gateway density, where um, I don't know if this is you becoming a star or what, but it's sort of like you have one foot in the source and one foot still in the universe, you're kind of halfway between, just about to finish merging uh, back to the source, back to the creator. So it's, that's just a tiny summary of, of how it all works, but hopefully that gives you an idea of kind of the progression.
1: Now, the, the concept of uh, what, because a lot of the things you're talking about, and especially in the, not only in the fourth, but in the fifth density, is where I, from my studies, the Ascended Masters, kind of play in this area when you say psychic abilities you know just reading autobiography of a yogi and you start hearing about a lot of these yogic powers that have been talked about for thousands of years being in two places at the same time levitation uh manifestation and then you go back to jesus and you're like well that's jesus was a yogi i mean it just it just makes all the sense in the world that jesus was a yogi right uh and that kind of stuff so are those beings that were at a higher density decided to come back down to this density to kind of kind of guide us or or at least help us understand where we're all going.
0: You got it. Yeah, it's it's uh, something the law of one calls wanderers, Mm -hmm. meaning that these are souls who've already graduated from third density, and even sometimes fourth density and even sometimes fifth density, but they in their, in their love for creation and in their oneness with all that is, they might see a struggling planet like planet Earth that's um, not doing too hot. And they might say, I could do a lot of good on that planet if I incarnate there and bring my higher frequency and I can teach the people what love is and how to, how to progress and evolve. And so that's what beings like Jesus and Buddha likely did. The law one actually says that Jesus was a late stage fourth density soul that was about to graduate to a fifth, its first fifth density lifetime, but instead of graduating, it decided to go back to third density one last time to help this culture out, which was ancient Israel. Um, the The separation consciousness of those kind of Abrahamic faiths is so dualistic and so separative and so dense mm-hmm. that that region was really stuck in this constant warfare. You know, the Crusades and the violence and stuff. And Jesus' soul said, "Man, they need to—they need to hear the message of of unity with the Creator. That we're not separate, and the Creator's not angry with us, but actually loves us and is love." And so Jesus came to sort of embody that message and demonstrate it, which clearly he succeeded in doing. And uh, you know, similar to the Buddha and Krishna and other kind of avatar characters, we can describe.
1: But those, but those beings when they came down, uh, and I'd say down for lack of a better word. when they incarnated on this on this planet they didn't come in going ah i'm jesus um i'm almost fifth density i'm here to help they had to (laughs) rediscover like all of us do because that's the the rules of being here you don't remember what you had and you know i my only my you know i'm a recovering catholic so in similar similar fashions of you um and i always had a problem with even when i was a kid i'm like wait a minute so he was born jesus was born and then 30 years yada 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 and i'm a master I Look, what happened in those 30 years was he a teenager you know was he getting into trouble like every other human you know did he go on a, 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 a on a pilgrimage and then you go into into the texts of india and you start reading those they talk about Jesus. They talk about a character like Jesus who came and learned the yogic ways and yep. learned to meditate and took all that information back to that area. So it was a, it was a evolution even of of that soul in this density. They all had to go through it. Buddha went through it and so on. And yeah. their their messages are so powerful that we're still talking about them today, thousands right. of years later through. Endless amounts of war and, and misinformation and all this stuff over the last, you know, just Jesus, 2,000 years alone. His teachings, like y- Yogananda always said, um, he was crucified on one day, but his teachings were crucified for the last 2,000 years. And yeah. it's, pretty, it's pretty, re- <clears throat> pretty remarkable. And Buddha as well, and Krishna. Yeah. And these, you know, it's, it's a fascinating, it's really, really fascinating, this, this kind of roadmap. That they've laid out now you did kind of hint upon this in your explanation and this is another part that i found fascinating in the explanation of the densities the universe uh planets uh, solar systems the concepts of what each of them are stars and the planets around them and so on can you dive into a little bit of what there that Ra was talking about in regards to what a star is what the planets are uh, mm-hmm. in the sense of consciousness. And by, when I was listening to you, I'm like, well, a lot of the concepts that Ra was talking about in the 80s, a black hole being in the center of a, of a universe uh, or center of a galaxy, which was like, that's what? You're insane. And now yeah. they're like, oh, by the way, every single galaxy has a big giant black hole in the middle of it. And that's just- yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, like these concepts are now coming up and, and we could talk a little bit more about quantum fields, quantum physics, entanglement, and so on. But a lot of these things, the science are starting to pick up to raw was talking about in the eighties, uh, at a, at a very deep level, uh, without question. So can you kind of just guide? don't, don't go too deep into the weeds. Cause we could be here for days, yeah, um, but, but just in regards to just how a universe is created and what the, and, and from the perspective of consciousness.
0: Yeah, yeah. Such a fun question. Another interesting note is that Ra, when Roz asked in the Lab One, like, where did where did your people come from, your species? You know, where did you evolve from? They said, We evolved on the planet Venus a few billion years in your past. And this was long before um, our scientists knew that Venus was a habitable planet in the kind of Goldilocks zone a couple billion years ago. But it was released in 2019. I remember seeing the article and going, that's what Ross says that uh, scientists discover that Venus was a Goldilocks planet about 2 billion years ago, exactly when Ra says their species was there. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting tidbits Ra gives in the 80s, long before science had caught up to these things. But to answer your question, the law of one explains that the universe is itself an experiment. That uh, the one infinite creator, not a monolithic being, get all your concepts of God and the bearded man and all that stuff out of this. Think of just whatever primordial, original intelligence allows all of this to be here. That source, that creator, if we want to use that term, is actually using the universe as a self-discovery advice because the, the creator is essentially all alone.
1: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It
0: is the one singular source of all that is. So there's no one else it could like have a conversation with to learn about itself. It has to make its own way of self-discovery. So it, it births the universe within itself as a kind of way to run these experiments of understanding what it is. And so the, the law of one says that literally every universe in and of itself, every galaxy, every star, every planet, and even every person is an experiment experiment. That the creator is running where literally the results aren't known until after the experiment is done and you know spiritual non-dualists have a problem with that and we could talk about that another time but i really like that perspective because it again it answers these questions very satisfactorily of why do we see the nature of evolution like this it does kind of feel like it's all an experiment that's being run right and so ross says that a galaxy is what they call a logos which we could imagine it as the first layer of intelligence that the creator projects itself down into. So it it limits its intelligence to a certain parameter. That's a galaxy. And the the logos, the intelligence of the galaxy decides what all the experiments in that galaxy will sort of be like. So maybe the laws of physics and, and all these other scientific things, the archetypes in consciousness that will be used, all of that is set by the galaxy logos. And then every star in that galaxy is now abiding by that logos' rule set that it's running this experiment by. And then every star takes that rule set and comes up with its own unique flare on it and its own unique experiment or twist on it. And then all the planets around that star likewise retain those parameters and come up with their own unique experiments. So it's like an experiment inside an experiment, inside an experiment, you know, forever essentially which is really, really cool, but also speaks to the nature of this infinite intelligence that we see happening in the universe.
1: It's it's fascinating. I mean, it's yeah. just such a fascinating, deep well that you can go into with this. But so I have to, have to ask, ask you this question. I'm sure people listening have to ask this, are asking this question in their mind right now is if there is uh, I'm playing devil's advocate, um, if there is. A source if there is a a god uh, you know so whatever you want to call it that is infinite and that it, all there is why would they why would it need to do this in order to find out more about itself if it's infinitely intelligent infinitely mm-hmm. aware infinitely everything beyond what we can conceive why would they have to go down this hole this this is a big giant soap opera down here, and this is just yeah. one of I'm sure billions you know of of you know living beings in this in this in the universe. it's a it's a lot of space if it's just us, and it's pretty egocentric to think that we're the only ones. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. you know that's just for sure I mean scientists are like, I, chances are. There's Come something, on, there's a, there's a microbe out there somewhere, you know, I mean, something, you know, too many things are flying around. So, so what is the purpose of this kind of giant soap opera drama, you know, from the, from a stone on the floor to the cat and the dog, to us, to a planet, to a solar, like this is, there's a lot of stuff going on. Why mm-hmm. does it need to happen?
0: It's a great question. And it's a question we could definitely riff on for a long time. (laughs) I think this is where we have to get a bit philosophical with this. And uh, on one context, you know, we can look at what the Hindus say and Hinduism calls it Leela, right? Which means the play. So they take the perspective that it's not like this serious thing where the creator is like, oh no, I'm all alone. I got to know myself or I'm going to die or whatever. And it makes the universe, I know myself quick, quick. It's not like that, right? It's more like the creator's playing. It's having a great time. It's just exploring possibilities, just like you would if you were alone for eternity, right? So that's one perspective that I like, and I think that that's largely a great perspective to hold. But there's also, um, you know, even even without getting spiritual about it, it's like if there is infinite possibilities, philosophically speaking, the, if infinite possibilities exist. They can only exist if they are being expressed. So, for example, you can't say infinite possibility exists, but it's nowhere. There are no possibilities expressing. That's a, it's a contradiction metaphysically. So just the fact that infinity exists implies infinity must express that infinity. Otherwise, it's not infinite if it's not expressing it. So we can just look at a philosophical lens to understand that better from. I like that. It doesn't fully satisfy you know, my, my curiosity. I obviously get being a spiritual teacher, I go way deeper into the spiritual element of if God is love, God needs the contrast to what love is not to understand what love is. And that's a big part of what this density is, the third density, which uh, we didn't get into. But to give your audience a glimpse, the law of one also says that this third density we're in like you pointed out, is quite a soap opera, a lot of suffering down here. Why does the creator want to experience this suffering? Well, apparently we're kind of ignorant to the nature of the universe beyond this density level in that fourth density, Ra actually describes it as a kind of heaven compared to the third. Uh, They say that third density is at least a hundred times more intense in terms of the amount of suffering that consciousness experiences here. And uh, that's for a very good reason, which we can get into if you want. But the third density is the only density level where when a soul incarnates into a third density lifetime, it goes through what's what they call the veil of forgetting, where they're not allowed to remember any past lives. We're not allowed to know the nature of the universe itself or why are we here? Blah, blah, blah. We don't get any of those answers because a a very important thing is happening in third density that the universe wants to protect the free will and the autonomy of that. But uh, to your point about like Jesus, Buddha, these, these beings, like they have to also forget that they are ascended. That's because the higher your frequency level is in consciousness, the more likely you're going to be to remember these kind of spiritual truths. You're just going to naturally be uninterested in violence and things like that. And you're going to gravitate towards meditation and whatnot. We call that an old soul versus a young soul. That's kind of a classic example of we all notice that there's differences in the sort of maturity of someone's soul. Some kids are just really, really spiritually aware and we don't know why they are. Other kids are much less so. And the law of one says that's because they're probably coming from a higher density level.
1: Something just occurred to me as you were talking. Because are we God's algorithm?
0: That's a, a great analogy.
1: Because we there's probable things that the algorithm will do, but it is free to go left or right mm-hmm. in the code. It is that's the way it was designed. That's what AI is. It is right, it can go left or right, or algorithms can go left or right, and we can't control. You just literally hit the return button and you let it, and you kind of let it go. And what happens, happens. There are parameters you give it. You give it guide rails. Right. But within those guide rails, it's free to do what it wants. And again, you, as the creator of the algorithm, can kind of have an estimated guess on where it's going to go, but it will surprise you. So, in many ways, we could be the code or the algorithm that God has put out into the universe because again at any moment we have that free will to do whatever we want but the probability of us going off off you know off off topic or off off the path that we're supposed to go on is a little bit unlikely
0: yes that that's such a great analogy actually and in that analogy we can see how, why karma works the way that it works because Those parameters are set up for a reason. Like when you make an AI, you need to give it parameters. Otherwise, you're not going to have any kind of experience from it if it just has no, you know, you're just going to get a bunch of nonsense out of it. So you want it to behave intelligently, right? Like a human mind or something. But beyond that, you want it to also express new possibilities from there. So one of these parameters that the universe has been designed with is that the law of one says that all is one, all is the one being, the one creator, knowing itself. And so when you, anytime you act in violation of the law of one, by being cruel towards someone, separating yourself, doing evil to others, then you create something called karma, which is like the correction device of the universal algorithm, which says that you will always experience the consequences of your actions. If you do evil unto another, eventually evil will be done unto you in, same, in the same proportion. And the thing is, we don't notice that that's a universal law because usually I like to call it the karmic slap.
1: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
0: If I do evil to someone, the karmic slap comes back around maybe six months later or something, right? So my mind doesn't tie it to the evil deed that I did six months ago. It just says, oh, this is so unfair, right? And it just complains. But this is why the ancient Hindus, for example, developed karma yoga where they said, hey, if you want to get out of here, if you want to ascend out of this realm, do good deeds. Because then you alleviate all your bad karma and you only create good karma. And if you create enough good karma the universal algorithm says, ah, this soul is ready to go to the next density. And it kind of plucks you out of the third and moves you into the fourth.
1: But from my understanding, um, from my my studies and talking to, I don't know, 40 or 50 near-death experiencers at this point, and also spiritual teachers, is that karma is a choice if you as the soul want to come back and deal with it. Like when you're on the other side, you can choose like, you know what, I don't want to go back right now. Or maybe I don't want to deal with this right now. It's not like there's a judge on the other side, a courtroom on the other side is like, well, Alex, you did this, 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 and this. Yeah. You're going to have to go back and deal with this, 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 and this. But it's not that. But if yeah. you as a consciousness want to continue your path, these are the rules, guardrails, things that you've been, these are the, the rules that you're going to have to deal with. And it's not that you have to deal with it, you actually on the other side want to deal with it. Yes. You want to get this, you want to evolve. So for us, we take this density this very, very seriously. But on the other side, it's like a video game. I've used that analogy many times. Yep. It is a very yep. video game-esque kind of thing. Like, oh, I want to go back into that level and beat the boss. Uh, or, you got or it. go over or get over that level or get over that pass monster. That yeah, pass that big boy, big boss or something like that to get to the next level and you want to go back. So it's very similar in that sense, right?
0: Yeah. The the law of one is all about free will because the creator, again, it wants its experiments to be authentic and real and not forced or or fraudulent in any way. And that means that free will has to be protected. So uh, this is why I love listening to near-death experiencers because they, they paint this picture very well where in, in every case I've ever heard, it's always this choice given to them of, well, based on your life review, would you like to have another shot at this life? Or would you like to end that lifetime? And then when you're ready, you could have a new one. And they'll say, ah, oh, I got to go back and make this right. I can't just end on this note. It's so hard to accept how selfish I was and all of that. It's so hard to accept how much I violated the law of one during my lifetime, we could say. So that's what's happening. And, and, The the special caveat I mentioned about third density is this, it's that the reason we go through this veil of forgetting is because our soul is in this realm to make a very important choice about the future of its evolutionary journey through the densities. Do I want to be a positively polarized soul or a negatively polarized soul? We have two choices, two paths, positive or negative. And the path you choose depends on how you like to interact with free will. If you like to honor free will and allow others to have their free will and even protect their free will and be loving and do good to them, you're going to be a positively polarized soul. If you like to control people's free will and take power over their free will and deceive them and manipulate them, you're going down the negative path. And so the reason we don't remember our past lives, Ross says, is because the universe doesn't want us to know where we've come from. It wants us to make a truly authentic choice do I want to live based on love or separation? And whichever choice you make is your choice to make. The universe will honor it. It doesn't want to infringe and be like, you should choose the positive. You know, It's like, no, if you want to be negative, do that. But there's certain karmic consequences to being negatively polarized and certain consequences to being positively polarized. So it's more about which of those two consequences do I want to experience as I evolve?
1: And also, when you say positive and negative, you, I, I, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you're not insinuating good or bad. It is a frequency. is a frequency yeah. sh- shift change. Positive will have a higher frequency will get you to evolve faster, while a negative frequency will slow you down and, and take longer to get to where you want to be. It's essentially you know, being air or a rock, essentially.
0: Right. Yeah. It's not good or evil or or right or wrong because we need the negative polarity just as much as the positive in order to have any kind of experience, right? Even in our own body, all of our electrons are negatively charged. Well, guess what happens if we get rid of the negative electrons? We're dead, right? So the, the polarities play with each other, and the whole universe is the interplay of these two polarities, really. But what we are saying is that the nature of the positive polarity is radiating like a sun, like a star. It's always giving off light, gives, gives, gives. And because it gives, it makes itself the source of that power and that light. So the positive polarity has an endless supply of power innate in itself, because it's connected to the whole universe. It's one with the universe. The negative polarity is like a black hole in that it has an endless need for power. It's always sucking in, absorbing like a magnet, pulling in power. And that's because it has cut itself off from the universe through the belief in separation. So it still plays a crucial role, but it's operating on the opposite charge, just like a, a quantum particle or something.
1: Now, you've also spoken about the mind-body-spirit complex. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. So Ra, Ra uses that term instead of saying like person or people, because I mean, first of all, they're, they're a sixth density social memory complex. So they're much more intelligent about the way things really are. So from their perspective, they don't see us as a human, but as a mind, body, spirit complex. And the way they explain that is basically that there's kind of three levels to what we are. We could talk about consciousness as the spirit, and then we have a mind that the consciousness is being projected into. So the mind is like the activating agent for the spirit. Like the spirit is non-physical, consciousness is non-physical. So it needs to like put on a costume to be able to act in time and space. And that's the mind. The mind can think and contemplate and form ideas. And then the mind likewise is also formless and it needs a costume to wear to actually be in space time. And so the mind projects itself into a body. And so they're really actually one sort of complex but it's best to understand them maybe in those three levels because they all play off of one another. Um, you know, your spiritual health for example will affect your mental and physical health directly. So they're not disconnected, but they do have kind of distinct roles and capabilities we could say.
1: Now you also spoke about something called spiritual balancing. What is that?
0: So that is when we're dealing more with the energy centers, that we have these seven energy centers in our body. Chakras, for lack of a better word. Chakras, yes. And they are responsible for what makes us who we are. Like our personality, our self-expression, and what it means to be human is dictated by these seven centers. So the red center is the root chakra. That's at the uh, kind of the perineum area. And that gives off the energy that allows us to have the fight, flight, and freeze instinct. So it's really just survival and sexuality. So what makes you a sexual being and what makes you uh, not want to walk off of a ledge, you know, and die is your, your red ray, your root chakra, right? From there, we have the sacral chakra, the orange ray. And that's your sort of personal self. That's where you become more of a unique, independent entity. I have personal desires. I have personal ambitions and things that I want in the world. And I become a unique persona. That's the orange ray. Yellow ray, solar plexus, makes up our social self. How do I interact with others? How do I see myself in comparison to others? So just looking at those three lower chakras, we call those the primal chakras because they make us human. It's what makes us a human being. So each one of them has different kinds of... They can be distorted energetically in unique ways. So like... Sexual distortions like pedophilia and rape and and whatever else would be distortions in the red ray, the root chakra. And so um, spiritual balancing is the the discipline of becoming aware of these imbalances in your energy and meeting them with love and forgiveness and awareness such that you can, I think of them like psychic knots in your chakras and through the self-love, forgiveness, and self-awareness we're sort of undoing those knots and then allowing the energy to flow harmoniously again, right?
1: Uh, okay. And then what are, what are the, other, the other ones mm-hmm.
0: going up? So they, they correlate to those seven densities that we talked about, right? Uh, we are a sort of a microcosm of the macrocosm. We'll be
1: right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show we're like a miniature
0: version of the universe. And so the densities are like the seven chakras of the universe. So the heart chakra, the green ray, represents our ability to love others and to see ourselves as one, to feel our shared essence, right? If you didn't have a heart chakra, you would reproduce a child. And although you may take care of it like an animal does, Uh, a second density animal only has the first two chakras in activation. The other five are not activated yet because it's a second density being. So an animal has care for its children, but many, many species of animals, right, will eat their kids when they're going through starvation and stuff because they don't have the heart chakra that allows them to feel emotionally one and love that child like a human has the potential for. So this is why becoming a parent is one of the most spiritually enlightening things someone can do usually, because it's maybe the first thing in someone's life that truly demands them to go beyond themselves and love someone else's needs more than their own needs. That's activating and opening the heart chakra. Throat chakra is our ability to be truthful and honest and tell the truth and express who we are authentically without these distortions. Like when we say that someone's being inauthentic, right? That'd be a throat chakra distortion. So being truthful, being wise, being authentic is throat chakra. Third eye chakra, indigo ray, is kind of our spiritual awareness, where we become aware of the spiritual nature of things. And then crown chakra is sort of our connection to the source and uh, the energy center where cosmic energy flows into into the body.
1: Fascinating, sir. It's all fascinating. It is, yeah. and, 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 and I think it was, I think I saw it in one of your videos or on your website or something. That when you're saying where a microcosm of the macrocosm is like a brain cell, if you look under it, it looks similar to the universe or to a galaxy. Yep. And it just, and, and those kind of things are constant throughout examples like that throughout life. Uh, yep. it, it, it all, yeah, it all starts to. It starts to make more sense. If you even have a logical brain, a logical yeah. mind to it, uh, you could just start looking at things. So, like, well, there's a lot of coincidences, patterns. There's so many patterns. And, I, you know, the one thing I have the, the, be, the, the blessing of is to be able to speak to so many people like yourself from different walks of life near-death experiencers, channelers, asking very deep philosophical and spiritual questions. And just from my perspective of now getting at this, a sense of this recording, almost 200 of these interviews from all people from all different walks of life, the patterns I continuously see mm-hmm. is what is more reinforcing of the ideas or beliefs I have of how the universe is kind of constructed because yes. I just keeps constantly seeing these these patterns from people from all walks of life, from all belief systems, from all different perspectives, and yet these patterns keep showing up. and And I I hope the people listening can just start thinking about that because and it, and I think you know this as well because you when you were you know in the Christian faith with the dogmatic stuff that you were dealing with as I was in the Catholicism. And when we went to, both of us went to the Eastern, which is the complete polar opposite of yeah. what the dogma is. Because in Eastern, yeah, there's dogma in Hinduism. There's no question. But when you get into sure. the philosophies, especially the yogic philosophies, which don't have, uh, at least to my understanding, have a lot of dogma in them. Yeah. Buddhism as well doesn't have a lot of that in it as well. You start seeing these ideas and these patterns keep coming up again and again and again and opens up ideas in you that just make more sense the concept of reincarnation which people always argue like oh there's only one life i'm like really man is this the only shot we got you know this experience that makes sense that makes no to me on a just a logical standpoint so the person who is born without legs or was born and died six hours later or had a horrific life or was born in a horrible family situation or f- horrible country and you're the wrong color in the wrong country at the wrong time and, and you know you believed in the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong country and you're that doesn't make sense and it, also you're you're once a man and that's the only experience you ever had and you once if you're a woman that's yeah. the only experience you have doesn't make logical sense but the concept of reincarnation made so much more sense to me uh and it is that's- it is the basis of of what Uh, the law of one is, is this coming back and the evolution of the soul makes so much more sense than this one and done. You're judged. Uh, If you did anything wrong, you're going to an eternal hell. You're done. You're done. How
0: does that make sense?
1: (laughs) I don't. I, I always love using the example. Like if you eat meat on Friday, you're going to hell. If you kill somebody, you're going to hell. So I'm proportionate in the, in the punishment, but then yeah. that, but then like years later, they're like, okay, you could eat meat. I'm like, well, what happened to all those other people who got went to hell because they ate meat? Is there like, is there, do they get a, a work release program? Like, how does it work? <laughs> is there a way out? Or
0: just like somebody that was born Hindu and never heard about Christianity and not goes talk about to that. hell forever. It's like, how is that
1: fair? <laughs> Let's not even talk about the two or three billion people that don't believe what you believe. Like it's right, right on both sides. By the way, on both sides, because there's yeah. other people. There's there's dogmatic people on every religion. Because, yeah. and that's the thing that I always find fascinating. And I, I think you. I, and please let me know what you think in regards to your work. Is when people push up against ideas like this, is because their foundation is so built on their belief system that if one thing goes. If you say reincarnation is real, then your entire structure, the foundation starts to shake because then this doesn't work, then this doesn't work, and this doesn't work in what I believe. And then everything I've been told my entire life is false. Well, if that's false, then who am I? And then it just all comes crumbling down. I'm assuming that's what you ran into with family, friends, and so on when you decided to leave Christianity.
0: Absolutely. And it was this confusing predicament for me to be in because it's like, hold on, I I thought we all just wanted to know what was true. (laughs) I didn't know we had this rigid, you know, need to just be certain and have certainties. I thought we wanted to know what was true. So like, if I say that, hey, you know, reincarnation may be a model that's true, and you react aggressively to that, it's like, whoa, 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 do you want to know what's true or not? Like, if you just want to be right, then okay, that's one thing. But don't pretend like you're in this religion because you want to know the truth. You don't want to know the truth because you're not open to anything else than what you believe. That's just called ego, right? That's called pride. We can't possibly know everything that's true. Like, if science has shown us one thing, it's that humans have been wrong about every prediction we've had about reality. And so wrong, we could have never conceived of what the truth was until it came to smack us in the face and we realized it. We've burned everyone at the stake who ever knew the truth before we did. You know, it's like, If we know one thing, it's that we're always wrong in our assumptions of the universe. And when I started to see that, it's like, look, I don't care about being right anymore. I really just want to understand this thing I'm inside of. What is true about this? What is really happening here? I don't even care what the truth is, right? Even if it's a dark, horrible reality, I'd rather know that and at least know what's true than be in this delusion or something. And uh, the beautiful thing is that when you have that kind of openness, And you can drop your need, your egoic need to be right and be certain, is that you can start to really let the universe tell you what it is. And the good news for us is that the universe is loving, benevolent, kind, infinite, and there's nothing to worry about in reality. But we've got a whole lot of twisted ideas about reality up here that need to be corrected, right? And that's what spirituality is in a nutshell.
1: My friend, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. I I really do appreciate you coming on the show. I'm going to ask you a few uh, questions, ask all my guests. What is your definition of living a good life?
0: Living a loving life.
1: What is your definition of God? (sighs) Creative principle. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? To know God slash yourself. And uh, where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing, sir?
0: Um, All my content's on YouTube, youtube.com slash Aaron Abke. If you want to find out more about my programs, um, such as some of the Kundalini programs that I have, uh, www.aaronabke.com, and you'll find everything you need to know there.
1: And do you have any final messages for our audience?
0: Um, Thanks for listening, first of all. Um, And I would just say, yeah, just... I know that this was probably a lot for most people, a lot of information, a lot of new perspectives, but just hold it loosely, right? And just say, yeah, hey, if it's true, it'll present itself to me in my own experience and time. I think when we hold truth loosely like that, it means that we're confident that truth is true and that truth can't be threatened. And I think that's the best way to allow truth to present itself to us.
1: Aaron, I appreciate you and the work that you do in the world, my friend. I appreciate you. Thanks again, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. I want to thank Aaron so much for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash two one one. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey.